Okay, let's begin reading a text from 2 Corinthians. We look inside, and what we see is that anyone who desires it can experience a fresh start, can become a new creation in Christ. The old life can fall away. The new life can flourish. Look, if we have eyes that see, we realize that God has settled relationship between us and him and has set before us the mandate to settle our relationships one with another. So if you've been around NRCC for any length of time, you've heard a recurring theme, and it is this, is that personal renewal is normative. It is the expectation of our lives that growth happens. It is, as our text indicates, part of the ancient tradition, and as part of our Advent series said, it is built right into the earth that renewal change, and transformation happen. As a creature of this earth, it is our heritage, just like the mountains and the trees and the grasses and the animals, to go through regular seasons of renewal. Mountains wear down over the ages. (laughs) I just think that's funny. (laughs) She saw that picture and she wanted it. (laughs) That was smart, girl. That was smart. (laughs) Mountains wear down over the ages, and then seasonally they are thrust up again by the movement and the action of tectonic plates. Animals go into hibernation, and in seasons of famine, they wait for the rainy season, or they wait for the springtime return of food. Plants go into seasons of dormancy, consolidation, while they await the return of the sun while they wait the return of the warmth. Renewal is part of the way things are on this planet that you and I inhabit. And as one of God's creatures here on this earth, you and I are also inheritors of that same promise of renewal and regeneration. However, as human beings, we've got these great big prefrontal cortex brains that give us options. They give us choices. And consequently, we have emotions and thoughts and visceral beliefs and intellectual beliefs, illusions and hurts, all of which can distance us from being a part of the natural rhythm of the planet that we inhabit. We, unintentionally to be sure, can circumvent the natural process of renewal and awakening. So, it has always been our way in the tradition to encourage one another toward a set of spiritual practices and patterns that work with seasons of renewal, that move us toward times of awakening. We saw this clearly during our Advent lesson about annualizing our reflections on hope. And in the same way, we can annualize certain times of thought about renewal. In our society, given the calendar that we have and the way the rhythm of our culture works, those natural times of renewal will often fall in January. In this week that is about to come, many people will start to reflect on their lives and think about their lives in the new emerging year. Another time that we often do that is around our birthdays. 
Sometimes it's in the fall. If people have been in school long enough, you kind of get the idea that the fall is a time for a new beginning. And so, if you pay attention to the announcements at NRCC, you realize over time that you're gathering a great big basket filled to overflowing with a set of practices and thought patterns that are regularly inviting you to renewal, regularly inviting you to change, regularly inviting you to growth, these things being integrated into your life. And it is an honored and storied heritage from which we draw that focuses us toward the experience that Paul articulates in this text so long ago, a fresh start, a new life, the old toxic patterns of falling away, flourishing of new life within us. Now, one of my great privileges being part of the community and holding the position that I do is that I get to hear probably more than most the stories of people's growth moments and their renewal moments in our community. I get to hear lots of stories of the old toxic ways falling off and new healthy ways beginning to flourish. And these stories that I get to hear are everyday occurrences at NRCC. They're normal events in our community. People grow here. We grow all the time. It's regular. It's commonplace. It's as ordinary as can be. That doesn't make it any less precious. It's just common. I used to think it was because we're a great community, and I used to think that it was because we really had figured this thing out, but along the way I've learned that that's not really the case. The case is that we've just tapped into an ancient wisdom that was around a long time before we were. Lots and lots of people have found growth and change and transformation normative. All they did was just tap into an understanding about the way this human life of ours works. And so we've been paying attention to the ancient wisdom, and we're doing what the ancients discovered a long time ago, the very things that enable us to participate in the natural growth and renewal process that is part of this planet that we inherited. So it's not really all that exceptional. It is just being part of the tradition. So we see what this text articulates happening all the time. Fresh starts, right and left. Old life flourishing, or old life passing away and new life flourishing happens all the time. And it's become our way to encourage one another to this anticipation, to encourage one another to the expectation, to encourage one another to have eyes that see and ears that hear so that we could be participants in this natural rhythm that is always going on about us and in us for the Spirit of God indwells us. But of course, growth and new life and the old life passing away, this doesn't come without some struggle. So we struggle and struggle and struggle. We would all prefer it to go passively. I actually ran into this comic while I was preparing from uh, Calvin and Hobbes. Most people just muddle through their lives. They're passive and unmotivated. They lack ambition and drive. But not me, though. I'm going to have an epic life. I'm going to wrestle the issues of the age and change the course of history. And I don't know which one's which. Hobbes? Is Hobbes the one that now responds? Hobbes is the tiger. So Hobbes says, so how are you going to do that? And Calvin says, I'm going to sit here and wait so opportunity will know right where to find me when it's time to change the world. (laughs) 
And Hobbes says, I wish I'd brought a book to read. Nah, it'll be here any minute now. <laughs> so today I want to address some of the struggle and some of the resistance. Some of the interior things that happen inside of us. And we're going to talk about, even though it is the natural order of things to grow and to change, there are forces within us that keep us from embracing this natural renewal process. And here is the struggle I want to talk about today. And that is this. All of us have a love-hate relationship with change. All of us have a love-hate relationship with change. On the subject of change, on the subject of newness, we are very divided within ourselves. On the one hand, we deeply yearn for it. On the other hand, we detest it and avoid it at all costs. So Mary and Sally were good friends. They're about the same height. They're both about 10 years old. And one day Mary notices that Sally has gotten taller and she comments on it and Sally quickly becomes embarrassed. And she says, oh my goodness, you don't know the half of it. My shoes don't fit anymore. My pants are too short. I'm getting scared. What if I just keep getting taller and taller and taller? What happens if I become the tallest girl in school? And after a pause, Mary says, well, I've got my own fears. If you think that's scary, I'm scared that I won't grow at all. What if all my friends grow, but I stay this height forever? What if we go off to college and I'm still this height? And there, articulated in the fears of two little girls, is the human dilemma regarding change. We yearn to change, we yearn to grow, we yearn for renewal. It is, after all, the order of things. It is wired into us to go through this process. So we yearn for it. But at the same time, we fear change, and we fear growth, and we fear renewal. What happens if change gets out of control? Which it does, by the way. What happens if change goes in directions that I can't manage? And it does, by the way. What happens if change turns out to be bad? That would just be awful. What if I don't change? That would be awful. What if I do change? That would be awful. You and I, we human beings, we have a love-hate relationship with change. And being on the horns of that dilemma, oftentimes we just get immobilized. We know that change is normal. We know that it's healthy. We know that it's required. However, there's an equally strong drive inside most of us to resist it. And we become, can become so hung up on this dilemma that we get frozen. Even sometimes when our conscious mind knows with certainty that we need to change in an area. The other parts of our minds find some convoluted way to help us resist and avoid it. If we could stand outside of our bodies, and if we could stand outside of our minds, and if we could just watch ourselves, it would amaze us how we have these little contrivances that are set up in place to help us avoid the natural process of renewal. The biggest of them is to get really distracted doing something really important that has nothing to do with change. So yes, we need growth. Yes, God's good earth promises growth, has it built right into it, yet the tradition within us is to avoid it because it is frightening. Now, we might be forgiven our resistance because change really is hard. To change our thinking, man, this is Herculean. To change our habits, this is arduous. This is grueling. This is demanding. To change the foundation of an unhealthy relationship. You and I, we've got these brains. 
And they're set up so as to save uh, space, save bandwidth, by caching away certain activities and actions we're familiar with, and we just do them by habit. And whatever goes into cache, we just do by habit as a regular, I mean, you don't have to think about tying your shoes in the morning. You don't have to think about making toast in the morning. You've just got that thing done pretty soon. You don't even see the road you drive on on your way to work because it's not new. And so the bandwidth is saved for the new stuff, which is a great system. It makes it work for us, unless what gets cached is an unhealthy relational dynamic. And then you're going to pull that up and live that drama again and again, day after day. And to change that is excruciating. To change what has been put into cash is very, very demanding. So we avoid it because it's painful. And we avoid it because the statistical probability of success is very low. That would mean we're probably going to fail. And change is frightening because failure is frightening. Change is frightening because we don't know where it will lead. Change is disturbing because sometimes it leads places we can't control. And we resist change because it is just tough. We have a love-hate relationship with change. And so we develop all kinds of mechanics to not have to deal with this head on. In 1895, Lord Kelvin, who was the president of the Royal Society, said this, heavier than air flying machines are impossible. Now, what he's really saying was this, creating a flying machine would be so incredibly demanding of thought processes. Flying machines would so precipitously change the culture and society and framework in our heads We can't even go to that painful, demanding thing. Let's just call it impossible. And that's kind of what we do. We say, this change in this relationship would be so demanding. I can't even consider that possibility. Let's just say this. It can't happen. It is impossible. In 1905, Grover Cleveland said something similar. Uh, He said, sensible and responsible women don't want to vote. In 1927, H.M. Warner of Warner Brothers Pictures said this, who wants to hear an actor talk? All of whom are saying, that would be so incredibly difficult, let's just say it doesn't matter. Change is difficult. Much easier just to think it is impossible. But if we would avail ourselves of the divine order if we would avail ourselves of the natural order of things, this divine invitation to renewal that is set before you and me as we approach this new year, it would behoove us to ask ourselves how we're relating to the issue of change itself. Forget the issue that might need change for a moment. Set that aside. And just think for a moment about how you approach change in general. It would behoove us to ask ourselves, do I make myself available to healthy changes or do I unconsciously resist them? Do I stay away from change because it is frightening? Is my heart cleverly assisting me in avoiding change because I sense the demands that it would put upon me? Instead of the very common path of least resistance, that would be avoiding change, it would behoove us to go toward the very subject of change and take an inventory of how we're doing. How do I navigate change that life, circumstances, my relationships put before me 
and say, this would help you. Now, such an inventory could follow a format similar to what Chris led us through during the contemplative time. How healthy is the rooting upon which my relationships stand? My family relationships, my working relationships, my friendships. How healthy are those relationships? How well do I treat people? How am I doing at loving and allowing others to love me? How well do I do at listening? How well do I do at supporting others? And how well do I do at allowing others to support me? How about challenging? What do I do when someone challenges me? And do I shy away from the moments when it would be appropriate for me to challenge someone dear to me? Do I knuckle under when I should be standing strong? Or do I overpower when a softer touch would be called for? Is change needed in my relationships? And I can pretty much promise you it is. <laughs> Every one of us, we have some point of change that would help us in relationship. But that's not the point for now. The point is, once you see that, monitor what you do. What do you do when you see that change would be helpful? Do you get busy? Do you get distracted? Do you go at it? Do you go away from it? How do you handle the invitation to change? Good thing also would be to think through the same in your workplace. Am I living honestly, industriously? Do I live with integrity? Am I following the virtue curriculum in my work life? Am I doing work that I should be doing or avoiding work that I should be doing? Am I avoiding the change that we would be demanded of me because it is frightening or because it is demanding? Am I spending my time the way my time should be spent? Or is my fear of change trumping my need for change? Oftentimes as we go into the new year, you think about our personal habits, your entertainment habits, your health and eating habits, the ways that you relate in your downtime. Are these habits health and life-giving? Are they nurturing the life that God has put within us? Or is inertia keeping me from changing things that would be harmful to me? And the real question that we're asking is, is my fear of change trumping my need for change? What about the attention that I give to my spiritual journey? Do I regularly or diligently seek out the divine life, the divine ways? Am I giving adequate attention to the ancient spiritual paths? Or is my fear of change trumping my need for change? And so this happens when we look at our thought processes, when we look at our mental framework, when we look at the invitation to be part of a spiritual friendship, we keep coming back to the question, is my fear of change trumping my need for change? Do I avoid the indications that I might be off in some way of thinking, some point of thought or some point of belief? Do I avoid that kind of indication? Is my fear of change trumping my need for change? A seasons of change are usually precipitated by these kinds of inventories that we take of our lives. 
And this is the time of year to be taking one of those inventories. This is the time to set aside the evening for examine of consciousness. This is the time to set aside the drive time without the radio. This is the time to find the space for quiet. Denise found this wonderful document. It was a hundred great questions to ask at the end of the year. And she brought that. Pardon? She got it from Bob. Thank you, dear. This is the time to be asking these significant questions about our lives and to be ruminating on the answers and reflecting on the answers. But the subtext underneath all of that is, what am I doing in response to the change that this spiritual journey would invite me to take? One of the critical things, the critical spiritual skills and disciplines that we have is the discipline of discernment. When you see me in a couple of weeks, I'll put the circle back up with the four kinds of practice and I'll hand out a worksheet that'll help us as we think about the new year. One of of those four categories of practice, three of them are designed to help you in the ancient art of discernment. My son, Daniel, is home. The kid is a slob. (laughs) The house was so tidy... And then Daniel comes home, and now the house just looks like we've had a tsunami. (laughs) And so we're having a discussion about that, and uh, the discussion is basically clean up, you slob. And afterwards, he makes a comment, and I so much appreciated the way that Denise responded. I I shared this in another context uh, recently. He said something that put a value base on messiness versus unmessiness. And I so much appreciated what Denise said. She said, sweetie, being sloppy is not uh, better or worse. It just is. And I know we've probably given you the message that tidy is better. Sloppy is not any worse or any better than tidy. They're just different. What matters is when all of a sudden you now enter into relationship with someone and they are tidy and you are messy. And then it becomes an issue of respecting and caring for another person. That's when it becomes a character issue. Well, I thought that was so profound because that is discerning. It is the ability to discern. Now, if you were a tidy, I can almost promise you you've added a moral component to the issue of your tidiness. (laughs) And if you're a messy, you've probably come under the moral judgment of some tidy person. (laughs) And you feel that you are morally inferior because you're not tidy. And the capacity to discern is born of this quiet space that we create when that's when we begin to realize the difference between tidy being a moral issue and respecting other people being a moral issue. The same thing's true of work. Good people work hard unless they work too hard, unless they work too many hours, unless they fill up work because they can succeed over here, because they can't succeed over here in relationships, so they put all their energy where they can succeed and they fail to put the energy where they can't. And the capacity to know the difference between those two comes down to discernment. And so the reason each year as we approach the new year, I encourage you to take some quiet space. The reason we do a contemplative Sunday, the reason that I invite you to examine of consciousness in this time of quiet and reflection is because that's one of the ways in which we discern. And we figure out what's the thing I ought to be working on next year. 
The difference between discerning and New Year's resolutions is this. New Year's resolutions are usually born of some kind of script you carry around in your head, maybe from your mother or maybe from a society or a school. These are things good people ought to do. And so you set out at the beginning of the year to do what good people ought to do, as opposed to quieting yourself, stilling yourself, and listen for the interior voice that says, this for you now. This for you now. And that's why we set aside this time for discerning. We set aside this time in order to hear the interior voice and to make our decisions accordingly. It would be very easy for me, the preacher man, to stand up here and say with some kind of moral authority, you ought to do this and this and this and this and this. And it would be wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong. Because what you ought to be doing in this season of change is discerning from within what is the change that is for you, for here, for now. Having discerned that, then we can then begin to work with this natural order of things, work with the natural order of renewal, work with this natural order of change and promise. So I'm going to do a worksheet for you in a couple of weeks. And the worksheet is going to be, all right, here are these four ancient categories of practice. There are Uh, communal practices, there are contemplative practices, there are learning practices, and there are serving practices. And I'm going to create a worksheet, and the worksheet's for you to take home and begin to make an assessment of your life. What are the practices that I should be integrating into my life at this time? What are the things that I want to be working on this year? You don't turn it in, nobody checks with you. This is for you to be able to work your way through that. But before we do that in two weeks, this is the thing that I want you to hear. Today, This idea of asking how we relate to change is an invitation to prayer. It's an invitation to the prayer of discernment. Spirit of God, what might I see if I had eyes to see? What might I hear if I had ears to hear? Holy Spirit of God, open my eyes for this coming year. What is the thing for me that says this area for you now? Begin to pray for those interior nudgings and promptings. Begin to pray that you would hear the thing for you right now. Before the worksheet comes the assumption that we are praying the prayer of asking and seeking, that we might receive insight and wisdom about this year before us. And then knocking at the door of courage and strength, asking that it would be opened to us. So today I want to encourage us to go up against that almost universal fear of change and to consent to the divine agenda that is built right into the planet that is the invitation to renewal. Several years ago, Michelle was... uh, commenting after several lessons in a row uh, during the discussion time. And then she even did a lesson, I think, that had the same thing. And there was this phrase that I remember where she was saying on a regular basis, it is always in our best interests to discern and obey the nudges of the Holy Spirit. It is always in our best interest to discern and obey the nudges of the Holy Spirit. The invitation to renewal that is hardwired into this earth, is difficult. 
It is demanding and it is frightening. But it is always in our best interests to discern the interior voice and to obey those interior promptings. And so I want to encourage us in this year that is before us not to avoid the inner voice. Make the space and the time to hear the promptings. I want to encourage us in this year before us not to avoid the whispers of the Holy Spirit that are within our hearts and to allow ourselves time and space to discern. And then to not get so busy that we can't attend to them. To not get so caught up in all the glittery, shiny, interesting things that there are to do, but instead to respond for that thing that comes from within you is the deepest yearnings of your heart. And let us not allow our unconscious instinct to avoid change, to derail us from this invitation to renewal. So Lord, I pray that we would indeed, as we have prayed so many times in these last days as we've gone through Advent, have eyes that see and ears that hear. That we would have hearts that would be strengthened to move forward in response to what we see and what we hear. Be that so in us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.